0: everybody, and thank you for joining us for this fireside chat, part of our Net Zero Carbon Summit here on Waves TV. We're super excited to continue the conversation around electrification, the use of alternative fuels, and some of the challenges that come with deploying that in our space. So joining us today to talk about this, we have Dan Rodabaugh. He is the Executive Director at the Center for Transportation and the Environment. Dan, thank you so much for being here and being part of our conversation today on our Net Zero Carbon Summit.
1: Yeah, Thanks for having me. Looking forward to it.
0: So first thing, let's go ahead and dig into what the Center for Transportation and the Environment does in our space. Obviously, you guys aren't directly responsible for looking at deploying any alternative fuel sources. Where do you guys kind of play in getting things out there?
1: Sure. Um, Well, to just give you a little bit of a background on CTE, we're a 501c3 nonprofit. Uh, We've been around for 30 years as of this last April, so we were doing electric vehicles way before doing electric vehicles, was cool. Um, We started in the 1990s working on a a big program for the Defense Department at DARPA. And the purpose of the program was to build uh, electric and hybrid electric vehicles that had both military and commercial applications. Um, So the idea behind that was that they called it a dual-use program. Uh, They wanted to get non-traditional defense contractors involved in the electric vehicle industry. So they wanted the Westinghouses and the GEs uh, and the General Motors of the world to help build vehicles and drivetrains that may work. Uh, For example, a drivetrain that might work in a transit bus might also work in an M113 armored personnel carrier. Um, And so that project was set up to run through nonprofit consortia. The idea being that if you're going to build prototype vehicles, and that's what that program did was build prototype vehicles, uh, you want a nonprofit managing the project, collecting the data, doing all the reporting, and freeing up uh, you know, the technology providers and the vehicle OEMs to actually concentrate on the technology themselves and the vehicles themselves. It also eliminated any inherent conflicts asking a vehicle OEM to report back to the government or back to the Defense Department on how well their vehicle was performing. Uh, having a nonprofit kind of between uh the the funder and the folks that are building the vehicle uh you know allowed for honest reporting you know we have a volunteer board uh we um, don't have any investors so we don't really stand to make money from any of the work we do um our our mission is to help people move um uh, these clean transport t- clean transportation technologies into the marketplace and so that's all we we really care about so um, you know, CT uh, did several projects with the Defense Department in the 90s, um, the most famous of which was a hybrid electric Humvee. Uh, but we also did Bluebird's first battery electric school bus as part of that program. We did an electric armored personnel carrier um, and several different vehicle prototypes. Um, and then in 2001, when that program ended, we decided that model of having the nonprofit do the program management Um, was a good model. And we so we expanded that to both DOE and DOT. The next big program really was at DOT, and it was called the National Fuel Cell Bus Program with Federal Transit. Uh, For that program, we built prototype uh, fuel cell buses. Um, And the most famous uh, vehicle that came out of that program was the Proterra bus. Um, The original Proterra bus was a fuel cell bus. Um, And we built and managed the build of that program. And early on with Proterra, we probably managed the deployment of about 22 of their first 30 buses or so. Um, and so, you know, CT still builds prototype vehicles using that same format. Uh, we build, uh, we're right now working on two different versions of UPS's uh, delivery van, hydrogen fuel cell versions. One is a retrofit with a hydrogenics fuel cell. One's a new build with a Ballard fuel cell. We're deploying multiple uh, of those vehicles in California, both in Northern and Southern California. Uh, we did Kenworth's first class eight hydrogen truck. Um, and so uh, we are also doing a top loader uh, uh, where we're using both fuel cell and battery electric technologies uh, at, at the Port of Long Beach uh, to, to deploy a top loader um, with Nibera uh, fuel cells. So uh, that's, that's one part of our business is building prototype vehicles. We continue to do that. Um, but around 2008 or 2009, with the success of the Proterra Bus, uh, we saw an opportunity to take our expertise on how you build the vehicle and how you deploy the vehicle And instead of working with the technology providers to kind of jump the fence and start working with the operators, uh, we developed some modeling software in designing these vehicles from from the beginning that allowed us to model all the major components on a vehicle. Uh, We'd also would go out and collect GPS data and model the route itself. And then if it's a battery electric, we would model the utility rate. So we could we learned how to virtually operate vehicles before we deployed them. So we took that knowledge and that expertise and that modeling software and started applying it um, to to operators. And we had a lot of success in the transit industry. The Proterra bus really spurred that industry. Um, and right now we've done more than 100 deployments with FTA uh, where we've managed the deployment, where we've done the modeling um, uh, in both battery electric and fuel cell buses. I would say one in five battery electric bus deployment in the country we've managed. And um, And probably nine in ten fuel cell electric buses deployments in the country we've managed through our smart deployment program we also work with municipalities you know other operators uh not just transit but the majority of that work has been in transit and so that's really the second pillar of our organization and we call that smart deployment um and then the third uh pillar is what we call fleet transition planning and that's just taking our expertise from building and developing the vehicles and demonstrating them and our expertise with helping people deploy them and for those that want to convert their entire fleet to zero emission, we then help them develop a strategic plan um, that allows them to do that, that puts something in front of them, whether that their target date is 2030, 2035, 2040, 2050. We put a plan in place that allows them to execute it to convert their, their fleet. And again, it uses the same modeling software that we do on deployments. And instead of looking at, at one or two vehicles and one or two routes, we really look at the system holistically and develop a strategic plan for them. So those are really the three pillars of our organization. As a nonprofit, we do um, conferences and education as well. Uh the, the, the Zero Mission Bus Conference, or ZEBCON, uh, that's coming up in San Diego uh, this September, is really our big event, uh, where we expect to have 800 to 1,000 folks, mostly operators, uh, focusing on both battery electric buses and fuel cell buses sorry, that was a long intro, but that's that's us. Uh, we've been doing it for a while, so there's a lot to cover.
0: It's great. It covers a really, really fascinating scope because you guys touched literally every piece of, I think, the transportation industry. And when people talk about electrification in our space, I think there's a lot of automatic jump to heavy-duty trucks and thinking about heavy-duty long haul, and that automatically raises a ton of skepticism, right? People are like, ah, we can't have electrification in the transportation space because what about these thousand-mile stretches of highway where there's no charging infrastructure? That's like, way on one side of the argument. But there's no question that there are some big time challenges to electrification, even if we're starting in the smaller scale with medium duty or the truck and bus space, things like that. A lot of that comes with infrastructure development and costs that happen on the initial side of things you mentioned work in states like California. California does a really, really good job from the state side of subsidizing some of these electric vehicle plans and electric vehicle costs necessary with the legislation that they're passing. We've also seen a pretty decent amount of funding come out of the federal level from things like the Infrastructure um, Act, which delineate a decent amount of money to cleaner and alternative fuels. What are some of those big time struggles that a lot of the folks that you're working with right now having to deal with when it comes to either electrification or just deploying the first, steps to get to alternative fuels?
1: Well, uh, you know, I think you hit the nail on the head. uh, The long pole in the tent is always infrastructure, um, whether that's charging infrastructure or hydrogen infrastructure, uh, getting that in place um, and getting that in place, getting the permitting done um, and getting it working before you deliver the vehicles is one of our, you know, one of our prime marching orders when we go in to manage a project. Um, We we start with the contracting to make sure that, you know, in the transit bus market, for example, uh, transit agencies and and bus OEMs are used to being paid when they deliver the vehicle. But if they deliver the vehicle six months before there's charging infrastructure in place, you've paid for a vehicle that you can't operate for six months. So, you know, those are some of the big issues that we face. Obviously, um, there's just not a lot of experience yet. I think the transit agency transit industry will probably be the first major industry to switch completely to zero emission. And so you can imagine 2012, they didn't have a lot of experience with charging infrastructure. Um, they didn't have a lot of experience uh, with utilities and demand charges and how that affect their operation profile. Uh, but they, they, the industry as a whole has come a long way and, and in part to all the deployments that, and all the lessons learned from deploying the vehicles. But um, battery electric is still not a drop-in replacement for diesel. Uh, you have to plan properly, um, especially in, in the transit bus market where they operate 16 hours a day. You know, most passenger vehicles oper- operate one hour a day. So you get a lot of data quickly uh, if you want to test technologies in the transit market. And it's also a very challenging market for battery electric to try to, to try to meet the duty cycle without having to purchase more vehicles than, than you're replacing. Uh, hydrogen fuel cell uh, vehicles uh, do offer a one-for-one replacement in most cases for diesel, um, but hydrogen is a new fuel. Uh, hydrogen stations can be very expensive, and it's very, very hard to get into hydrogen if you don't do. Well, we we, we recommend that everybody do a transition plan and looking at, look at their entire operation because if you're buying five or ten vehicles, the hydrogen station becomes cost prohibitive. If it's a $5 million station, you're buying five buses, it's a million dollars a bus for the hydrogen. It's really hard for it to compete with battery electric at that level. But if you start looking at 100 or 200 buses, and if you start looking at demand charges, and if you start looking at infrastructure limitations... Um, a bus yard, for example, in a, a major urban area, um, maybe maybe houses 150 or 200 buses, and the first 50 or 100 are, are maybe easily charged based on the infrastructure that's available. But at some point, you run out, you run into a point where the transformer is not big enough, switch gears not large enough, and you basically need a new substation to meet that load. And when you get to that point, the cost per vehicle of your infrastructure goes up pretty dramatically. With hydrogen, the reverse is true. It's very expensive up front. But every time you add a vehicle, you don't have to have an additional infrastructure charge. So if you're taking that five million and instead of doing five buses at a million a bus, if you're doing 50 buses, you're, you know, down to a hundred thousand dollars a bus. And and if you're doing 500 buses, uh, then you get to the point where the infrastructure cost is maybe even smaller than what the battery electric is. Um, the real secret is the answer is different for everybody. We can't look. You can't look at your neighbor. You can't look at your um what they're doing in Georgia versus South Carolina or California versus Oregon. You can't really look elsewhere and say, wow, this worked best for them. Uh, It's going to work best for me. You really have to do the planning. You really have to do the math. You really have to look at what your hydrogen costs are, what utility rate structure looks like. Um, There's a lot of factors that go into it. So um, you really have to do your homework before you deploy the vehicles. If you do your homework. The vehicles work they work really really well the drivers prefer them passengers prefer them um for for trucking we're starting to see uh, uh uh for drage truck applications um hydrogen and battery electric starting to play a little bit of a role uh the scenario that you brought up about long-haul trucking um from my perspective that's going to have to be hydrogen and fuel cell to make sense because the refueling times um, not just refueling times but the demand charges that would be incurred if you try to uh, fuel very, very quickly, very large battery packs, um, uh, they, they could become cost prohibitive for battery electric to be able to meet that duty cycle. So um, we do see fuel cells and hydrogen playing a really big role in the long haul trucking world.
0: So I'm here in Chattanooga, Tennessee, and I think that we pride ourselves really well on being a space for transportation advancements. One of the things that works very well in our urban areas, we have a fleet of about 30 to 35 electric passenger shuttles, which run pretty much in our downtown urban area. They take the place of a lot of our city buses running downtown instead. People love them. They're absolutely free for use. And that's something that I think has been implemented and deployed. And as you mentioned, it's different. It's not a one-size-fits-all solution, but it works very well in our urban area. And it, I think that it shows the possibility that can be used and then deployed for passenger transport as well as eventually potentially goods transport if you're looking in kind of a short to regional hall space. We mentioned that not one-size-fits-all solution. So, of course, that comes with a lot of players that have to be in the space, whether that's a tech provider or whether that's a producer of batteries. Batteries or in OEM. And in the last kind of two years, we saw this run up of people who were in the electrification or alternative fuel space. And now we're starting to see some of those startups are starting to fall off of the map. Do you think that this is either an opportunity for one to kind of emerge in front or an opportunity for maybe some established players, whether that's an OEM or a battery maker or a drivetrain maker, to really step in and become that leader in the electrification space? And How much has that shake up, I guess, in who's been playing in the space really helped contribute to a lack of development or deployment and electrification?
1: Yeah. Well there's really two parts to that. and Let me address your first one first. Uh, Yes, Chattanooga, uh, we helped put that bus system in in the 90s. That has been operating since uh, 95 or 96. They were one of the first projects out of our DARPA program. Um, We use Chattanooga as an example all the time. Those buses have 36 kilowatt hour battery packs. Uh, For those of you that are familiar, uh, you know, a a new 40-foot transit bus from Gillig or from Proterra or from New Flyer, BYD, you're looking at the in the six to 700 kilowatt hour range. So, you know, you've got packs that are, what is that? 10, 20 times larger now. Uh, They still don't necessarily meet all duty cycles, but it's pretty amazing to me that a 36 kilowatt hour pack, if planned for properly and deployed properly, and in Chattanooga, they do a three mile flat circulator route. Um, They do a battery change midday, and those buses have been operating day in, day out, and they work. Uh, And it's just an excellent example. You can make it work if you plan properly. Uh, So I wanted to put that in because I think uh, anybody should go see what happens at Chattanooga. Um, You have five-minute headways from a transit perspective. That's fantastic. It's, It's on a long, linear route. So you can see the next bus coming when you get to. If you miss a bus by 30 seconds, you can look down the street, see another bus coming. So people use that shuttle, and they use it in lieu of parking downtown. So the whole downtown has really been redeveloped around that shuttle system. So it's just an excellent example of making the technology work and a proper planning and not just planning for the technology but the urban planning that went around that system is, is pretty amazing and the way that it really reinvigorated downtown Chattanooga so I just wanted to put that plug in I didn't I actually didn't know you were in Chattanooga so that's great that you're there um, so you, you talk about uh, companies uh, failing in the space I think with any new technology you're going to have that um, uh, I don't think that it's it's much different here. We, like everybody else, were hit pretty hard by COVID. Um, if you're if you're a vehicle manufacturer and you're building an electric vehicle and you're putting it into the marketplace, um, uh, you're 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 trying to to push against 110 years of installed. Um, infrastructure for diesel and, and for fossil fuel engines. And you're trying to compete with, with technologies that have much larger volume and have been around a lot longer. And they were really starting to get their foothold. And COVID really hurt supply chains around the world. And um, and it's really hard as a startup to be able to, to, to weather that storm that, that COVID is. And it's really hard to continue to improve the technology if you've got orders that are backed up for months on end. We're seeing that in the transit bus industry with Proterra struggling and other bus OEMs, um, you know, the timeline has been drawn out a lot due to COVID. The supply chains are, are not as mature as we had hoped. And so we're seeing, you know, a lot of damage to some players in the industry, but as we said, the technology works and for every, for every, uh, company that's struggling, there's a company that's finding an awful lot of success in the EV industry. Um, and we're still very, very, you know, very, very bullish, uh, on the future of uh, zero emission and transportation, specifically in medium and heavy duty applications.
0: It's going to be interesting to watch, especially as we kind of get more funding from a government side of things as we start to kind of win over the court of public opinion and as more folks, you know, they travel to Chattanooga and see that electrification is a true viable option, especially when it comes to transport in a developed urban area. Dan, thank you so much for joining us for our Net Zero Carbon Summit today. Fascinating topic to touch on. If people want to get in touch with you guys at the CTE, maybe check out some of your projects or what you guys are working on. Where can they go to do that?
1: Yeah, uh, our website is www dot C T E TV as in television. Um, there's, uh, there's, uh, some downloads there on all our projects. We've got about 130 active projects in the U S uh, right now. Uh, both deploying vehicles, uh, planning, doing strategic plans for people that want to transition, and doing prototype demonstrations. So uh, we're very active all across the country. And, uh, you know, we're happy to work with all technology providers in this space, help them get a vehicle built and demonstrated. And for operators, we're happy to go help them uh, deploy properly. If you, like I said, and I've said it over and over, if you plan properly, these technologies work, you're going to love them. Uh, but it's all in the planning and the proper preparation for how you deploy them.
0: All right, Dan, thank you so much for joining us. We appreciate it. And we'll be sure to keep an eye on what you guys are up to soon. All
1: right. Thanks. Pleasure meeting you, Kaylee. Thanks for the time.
0: Pleasure to meet you as well. Thank you guys for staying tuned in for our Net Zero Carbon Summit here today. Hey, maybe you want to come check out that Chattanooga bus system for yourself. Well, you can do that at our Future Freight Festival. That's gonna be our next event, November 7th through the 9th, right here in the Heart of Freight Alley, Chattanooga, Tennessee. I'm gonna tell you, those buses, its pretty easy zip up and down Market Street, downtown. You can see all the sights and sounds of our lovely city. But thank you again for staying tuned for our Net Zero Carbon Summit. We've got plenty more content on the way, so make sure that you drop some comments there in our live chat. If you miss any of today's sessions, we'll be up on our YouTube channel following our event today. Bye.